This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dojo Live this Thursday, April 27th, 2023. My name is Kim Landis, and it's my pleasure to be co-hosting along with America Guerrero today. Hey, Kim. Hey, Rui. Hi, Hi. Ami. Yes, yes. And Rui. Rui is our guest of honor today, the CTO of Expedoc. Uh, Rui, thank you so much for, uh, Rui Aguiar, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yes, and uh, you know, pre-show, I forgot to ask you, where are you located? I don't even know where you're joining us from. Yeah, so I usually split my time between kind of LA and the Bay Area. Uh, LA has got kind of Port of Long Beach, Port of LA, you know, tons of kind of customers there, and then Bay Area mm-hmm. is obviously very strong engineering. So I'm in LA right mm-hmm. now, though. So, all right, so, all so. right, not bad places to be. Perfect. So you know, we're here to talk about AI, global supply chain, but before we get into those weeds, we'd like to get to know you, Rui, a bit better. What's your story? What's your passion what's led up to expedoc yeah so hmm, where, where do i start I, I mean i guess i can start kind of all the way back you know uh my, my interest in computer science i guess started probably when i was 12 or 13 years old I, I kind of like spent my free time coding video games with my friends after school as one does i guess <laughs> i went to stanford for my undergrad um and, and sort of like how i got into supply chain which you, know, you don't see many kind of 20 somethings in the industry uh you should see more but um basically sort of how i got interested in kind of expedoc is that i've always loved Uh, really solving infrastructure problems. Um, And this kind of is everything from like, you know, payments infrastructure to technical infrastructure. um, And sort of what what led to me kind of getting started in Expedoc is I really saw supply chain infrastructure as like this huge kind of real world massive network problem um, that, you know, I I felt that, you know, if if we could kind of improve even, you know, uh, 1% of this market by sort of like, you know, 0.1% or something like that, like we could create millions or billions of dollars of value for, for everyone worldwide. Uh, which is kind of really what, what excited me about the company and the vision and, and why I sort of decided to spend my time on it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, we were also talking a bit pre-show, this idea of this trickle down. I mean, I'm sure that supply chain is something that suppliers, manufacturers, you know, have been dealing with and worried about always and forever. But me and most of us, I think, is the standard, you know, final consumer. I hadn't really thought much about it or experienced any pinches until maybe this last year, two years. What's making this even more relevant today? Like, what's that story, maybe that big picture macro story? To me, I always chalk it up to, you know, COVID, um, uh, manufacturing closures, and, and, and then that's it. But what else is there? Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, it's honestly a miracle that like anything works at all. I think it's it's all a huge mess under the hood. Um, but, but really, you know, in terms of like recent shocks, I, I would attribute it to kind of a few things, right? Um, there, first of all, I think you are actually correct that I think COVID is kind of what started all of this. Um, I think that like, you know, there, that caused like a, a few issues. Um, the first one being like, there was a demand spike for, for tons of different things like, like toilet paper and face masks and cereal. wipes and like, yeah, <laughs> cereal, right? Like things that weren't normally there. So there was kind of a, a macro shift on, on that end. Um, and then second, I think is like, it, it, there was sort of massive disruption to businesses kind of worldwide. And, you know, many of the businesses in the supply chain, like weren't even tech forward enough to have laptops, right? So like you had freight forwarders just like, 
close completely and shut their offices down. And they were like, well, we're all on desktops, So like, we can't move goods anymore. Um, that kind of got compounded with, with sort of, you know, tons of other macro events. I mean, you know, Suez Canal gets blocked, like that's a disaster, uh, you know, war, uh, China's closing down because of COVID like, oh, and it's just kind of, I think uh, inflation hits and this all hits sort of a tipping point where I think that the strain was kind of just too much and the, the global economic shocks really like hit uh, kind of hit the supply chain to the extent where you, you even see the kind of end user and consumer starting to look at this stuff and being like, oh, wow, this is this is sort of a huge problem. Right. And this is something that, that we can fix. And you see the innovation kind of here uh, happening on the, the the sort of entrepreneurial and company side as well, where sort of many more companies, I think, are coming into the space right now, uh, looking at, you know, including us looking at like, hey, this is a huge kind of broken infrastructure system. Like, how, how can we kind of help improve this from, from sort of where it's stuck today? For sure. And I think that's the great segue into Expedoc. You know, who are you? What's the problem that you're, you're solving with your tech? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess I can start from like a high level. I, I would say the vision for the company is is sort of being the data infrastructure for the global supply chain. And, and you know, you might look at me and be like, OK, really, that's great. But like, what does that mean? Right. Like, <laughs> but but really, like what it is, um, is is like the global the hypothesis behind sort of why the company was built is that the global supply chain is like highly outdated and highly inefficient. Right. Like the software being used is from kind of like 20 plus years ago. I mean, people are still faxing each other stuff uh, across borders. Um, you know, there, there's sort of tons of uh, tons of inefficiency that can be corrected, you know, not only with data and machine learning, but just like general software is applied to kind of data in the supply chain. Um, and so sort of what we do uh, is, is uh, you know, we, we provide a, a suite of products. Um, some of it is kind of automation based products uh, where we kind of uh, use uh, sort of state of the art machine learning to extract stuff from uh, supply chain documents, which is kind of the, the information protocol of like how goods move around. Like instead of, you know, with the internet, with IP packets, you have like invoices and bills of lading and stuff like that, which are like receipts moving around for goods. Um, and, and that, you know, it turns out that this is like a huge operational cost center for businesses. And so the business model basically is like, look, you know, don't have this be a huge operational cost center, right? Like don't spend 50% of your kind of burn on this and like an already kind of tight margin business, like just outsource this to, to AI uh, and have us kind of like help you grow your business and, and save money without having a scale headcount. Um, in addition to that, you know, the sort of longer term vision is, is really taking that data and using it to empower businesses and empower efficiency in the global supply chain. Right. Um, so what that looks like is just like using the, um, you know, data to do stuff and, and using machine learning across the data to do stuff like uh, understand invoice discrepancies, you know, trade finance use cases, detecting fraud, uh, helping just empower the businesses to run in a more transparent way, because like a lot of people haven't kind of like unlocked access to their data or it's kind of siloed into different systems. Um, but but that's sort of the general gist of what we do. So it's like automation plus data as applied to like traditional businesses to help the whole supply chain run more efficiently, if that makes sense. It does. It does make a lot of sense. And so let's get into it. Um, today's topic specifically chosen by you. Yes, the topic is AI in the global supply chain. How can new advances in AI regrade global supply chain infrastructure? So please share with us the answer. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish, I wish, I mean, do you, do you have like five hours? But no, <laughs> it's a TLDR. Um, yeah, basically about 24 like, minutes. <laughs> minutes. All right, I'll do my best. Uh, the, the TLDR for this basically is like what, what you have in the supply chain really is it, like, I, I kind of like thinking about it with my sort of technical backgrounds. Uh, as, as sort of like, it's kind of like the internet, but like the tech pundits would say it's the world of atoms instead of the world of bits, right? So like really what it is, is it's a bunch of kind of interconnected networks um, of, of businesses that are exchanging information to move, you know, your iPhone or your Nike shoes or anything from point A to point B, right? Um, and, and so like, if you start thinking about the problem formulation from, from kind of that framework, I, I think a few answers sort of pop out at you, right? Like, so one thing and the thing that we've decided to tackle is sort of like rewriting how communication is done in supply chain, right? Like, like, 
the, you know, in a network in the internet or something like that, going back to that analogy, you've got kind of like, you know, sort of packets routing from A to B in the supply chain, you've got like semi-structured data, right? Like handwritten documents or faxes or Photoshop, you know, photos of like, handwritten like receipts or something like that, right? Or, or container pictures. Um, and one thing you can do is use AI to kind of like do things that like humans would do otherwise, right? Like, you know, beforehand, I, I think before sort of 2020, you'd have, you know, a human manually cataloging all this stuff, like entering into the different systems, sort of doing all that. And now like today with all the kind of advances in, in sort of transformer models and all this other stuff, uh, great stuff coming out of the, the sort of AI research field, uh, you, you have the kind of ability to sort of have AI drive uh, efficiency on the kind of communication layer of the supply chain. In addition to that, I think that there's just like tons of really like interesting business nuances that you get uh, in the actual kind of moving of goods uh, across borders. Um, I, I think one thing that like tons of companies have looked at, and I think Google just like published a whole thing about this is like route optimization, right? Like there's tons of really interesting kind of algorithmic problems that you can look at where it's like, you know, how can we like move our ships so that a boat doesn't get stuck in the Suez Canal and stop global trade for two weeks, right? Like <laughs> planning and optimizing that on like the ocean level, on the air level, on trucking and rail, and like on all these kind of like complicated transportation systems. Um, on top of that, you know, I think there's the movement of goods, there's the planning of goods. I, I think that there's like sort of really interesting uh, just general applications of like AI in, in business in general, right? I mean, like you have tons of this stuff coming out with like generative AI, you have like, you know, these models getting better and better year over year. I mean, it's, it's night and day as to where we were even like a few years ago uh, with like vision and language models. I mean, I think that there's just like general efficiencies you can insert in like a domain specific sort of flavor uh, that can help out with, with a lot of things, you know, everything from kind of the day-to-day the -day office practices to like the, the macro scheduling to, you know, like general, uh, general sort of verticals and like underwriting containers or trade finance that you can kind of start automating with AI. And I'm sure we'll see use cases of this in the next like five to 10 years. Yeah. You know, you touched on generative AI, which is a really big deal these, these days, chat GPT. Thank you. How does this tie into something like the global supply chain? How might you be utilizing this? Um, because when I think of it, the first thing that's coming to my mind is, you know, like content creation, um, making documents, um, I don't know, summaries, all these types of things. So I'm not really making the connection between supply chain and generative AI, but I'm sure you're thinking about it. Yes, yes. So spend some time in the space and you'll see, I guess, or just listen to me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm kidding. But anyway, yeah, that, it's, it is a good question. You know, I, I think it's still really early here. Um, I think that a lot of the initial use cases of generative AI uh, are, are around like, yeah, can we write better blog posts or can we kind of do, you know, like automate like paralegal work or something like that? That's like content generation. Um, but I think if you look sort of a little bit more deeply, there's there's sort of a lot of interesting use cases you have here. The kind of main ones that I've seen today, and you know, we're still innovating on this. So like we have a roadmap for it and we're looking at how we can apply this to the business, both on like an interdepartmental level to make us more efficient and like in our products. Um, and I think that the main things that you're seeing right now from kind of us and other players in the industry is like, first of all, I think that like, a lot of people are prototyping with like natural language interface towards supply chain data. Um, so Project 44, uh, which is one of the kind of major uh, supply chain uh, tech companies just published uh, one thing, I think it was like 16 hours ago <laughs> about like this thing called Movement GPT, uh, which is basically, you know, from, for, from a layperson's perspective, it's like, okay, you know, I can, can I use sort of a chatbot interface um, to interact with my kind of shipment data in, in the way that would be sort of a superior user experience uh, towards then like, you know, 
like slogging through like some web or desktop based system to like <laughs> go get all the information of kind of out of what I have. And like, not only can I do that, but can I use kind of the, the leverage of, of, of a GPT based system or a generative AI system to, um, to sort of like offer suggestions about how I should run my business, right? Uh, so, so things that they're looking at are not only like, um, and we're also looking at this, but like that is being looked at, I guess, is like, uh, you know, not only asking like, hey, you know, where are all my shipments in Europe? Like, how are they doing? And like querying a chatbot for that instead of like going and specifying a bunch of filters, uh, but also like, you know, saying like, hey, can you get me like my delayed shipments and can you suggest what I'm going to do about them? Uh, you know, or can I reroute these somehow? Or like, can you access data that will help me kind of help, you know, help me sort of run this stuff more efficiently, uh, which I think is really interesting. I, I think there's also like very interesting stuff around kind of like data anomaly detection with it. This is still super early. I mean, the whole model launched like last quarter, right? Supply chain moves much, much slower than, you know, AI research advancement. So you can expect to, to see a lot of this stuff over probably like years to come. Uh, but I think another interesting sort of application of generative AI in this space is like uh, sort of um, helping with kind of anomaly detection and understanding anomalies. Uh, there's tons of like, there's tons, like shipment data is really, really complex, right? Like you have, I mean, you look at the models of like storing this stuff from, from just a pure database perspective and it's like hundreds and hundreds of columns of information about like all the ports and the, the legs and the movement and the, the customs control and stuff like that. And so like one thing that I think is gonna be interesting, especially with these like really, really complex GPT-4 models that have like a trillion parameters that can encode kind of complex information uh, is, is looking at these kind of, um, you know, is looking at these kind of shipments and maybe like suggesting ways to run things better or detecting anomalies uh, across data sets when, when feeding it kind of like larger amounts of data. Um, again, it's not something that I think has been productionized by anyone <laughs> that I know of, but like it's, it's, a, it's a potentially interesting direction to start looking at this stuff. It is interesting. I think it comes down to learning about the right questions to ask, right? We've talked about this a lot on the show lately and this idea of prompt engineering. And I hear you and then I'm not even in the space, but then my brain's already moving. Like I think I could ask about weather, right? I could ask about certain ports being backlogged and maybe I should reroute to go here instead of there. Or I'm, I don't know, like it, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I, I think it's exciting, like you're saying, with this idea of prompt engineering, even with the scary word engineer, you don't have to be an engineer in order to do it, right? Which makes it, I think, very exciting, particularly in your field, I think, in the type of individuals, you know, who um, work in the supply chain. I think it's something that's super accessible and makes just every, that's the word I think that comes to my mind, accessible. Yes. Do you need to be necessarily a big company in the supply chain industry to get this kind of technology and improve your processes? Or... Maybe you could recommend this to mid-sized companies or smaller companies that are starting or what is your answer? Yeah. So, I mean, if I think about like the, 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 I mean, so for the freight forwarding industries, so the supply chain is pretty big, right? You got like shippers, you got manufacturers, you got all this stuff. We mostly service freight forwarders and occasionally shippers uh, for the freight forwarding industry specifically, which is kind of where the majority of our customers are. Um, I think it, it, it is actually um, more of an opportunity for small to mid-sized companies because like what, what you can get, like the freight forwarding industry is like really sort of brutally competitive, right? Like people are kind of fighting over, it's not, it's not, you know, SaaS where like your margins are 80% and like you have tons of highly paid engineers and like stuff like that. It's like, you're really like in the trenches fighting over every single shipment. You know, you, you have 10 people competing over everything and your margins are, you know, 40, 30% for, for something. So you're fighting over kind of every single percent of that. Um, I, I actually think kind of one, you know, and one way people differentiate is through sort of like in the larger companies, um, 
you know, having that brand and having that trust and kind of being able to do that. So I would actually argue that it's, it's more critical uh, for the smaller companies to adopt this stuff because it, it helps them sort of differentiate and provide a better user experience, which at the end of the day is like really what freight forwarding is about. It's like having the best price and best user experience uh, for moving a shipment from point A to point B. And like, that's how you win business. And like having a better user experience is how Flexport won business and grew into this kind of huge uh, sort of, you know, multi-billion dollar behemoth. Um, and so I think that sort of like, any company uh, uh, that can move as quickly as possible to sort of adopt these advances is going to like be in an advantageous position, regardless of size. And it may even be easier uh, at a smaller size because you don't have like the, you know, the layers of bureaucracy and stuff like that uh, in um, that you wouldn't just like a generally larger firm uh, to, to kind of like uh, start adopting these processes. Let's talk a little bit about the, this idea of this digital transformation or getting, you, you know, earlier in the show, you talked about the supply chain uh particularly being a vertical where it's still a lot of paper pushing, right? There's, we're sh just now shifting to this digitization. What are the types of conversations, the questions, the concerns that people have? And what are you doing to make this a little less scary, right? How, how are you convincing um, of the value and just maybe even keeping in mind your users and making it easy for them? Yeah, this is that's a great question. You know, that, that's that's something that we kind of have to go out and answer every day in our sales calls. Honestly, like, <laughs> you know, we, we're always going to get the kind of call where we, we go to the business. We're like, hey, look, you know, use AI. It's much better. And, and the guy is, is you know, he's, he's like, look, I've been doing it this way for 25 years. Why am I going to change now? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, why, why does this make sense? I, I think that, um, you know, I think that like you you've got a couple of forcing functions here though, right? Like I think the reason to kind of adopt this now is a few things, you know, I think first of all, um, as I said before, freight forwarding is a pretty brutally competitive industry, right? Like you're, you're slugging it out. You got competitors everywhere. You get, it's like very relationship based. You got to fight over everything. And like, I, I think digital forwarders are kind of coming in and, and eating a lot of people's lunch, right? I mean, Flexport, it popped up and like these guys are taking tons of business from other people uh, and a significant kind of share of the, the sort of, of market there. Um, you have ton, like, you know, dozens of other startups that have followed in the tracks of, of their success. Um, and I would say that like, you know, in general, the kind of like, and then you have this sort of second problem, which is like the, the supply chain shocks are kind of hitting people, right? And like, this is a huge, a huge sort of issue. So in general, when I think about like appealing to kind of business sense of, of customers or like answering that person who's like, I've been doing it this way for 25 years, you know, my dad ran this business before me for 50 years, like, why would I change now? Um, you, you got a few answers, right? I mean, I think first of all, it's like now is kind of this huge sort of tectonic shift technology wise, it's sort of the, the Mark Andreessen software is eating the world quote, uh, that's happening in supply chain, uh, right? And, and that's sort of... Um, you know, a big reason that you got to start looking at like, hey, you know, how, how's the competition doing? Right. Um, and then the second thing I think is just like uh, appealing to kind of like general business sense works here, too. Right. I mean, there are like you really have to focus on like real business outcomes for a lot of this stuff. And I think like it can be compelling to say, like, look, you know, just try with us. You know, you can get a free few weeks or so. And like we will save you 50 percent of your operational costs. I mean, like as a businessman myself, if someone like came to me and was like, look, you know, we can make your devs 50 percent more efficient. Try this free for a couple of weeks or like, you know, what you'll pay us X amount afterwards on a usage basis. I would be like, yeah, OK, I'll try it. Right. Like <laughs> even if it doesn't work, you know, it's, it's definitely at least something kind of worth piloting. Uh, to understand if, if that works. So like, I, I think that the big things are like, I think there's like a kind of a, a sort of um, just like general, like this makes sense component <laughs> from a business perspective, right? Like the people we talk to are businessmen, they're working in like a, a sort of tough industry. They understand, you know, costs uh, really, really well. 
um, and sort of like how, how saving those and how scaling your business without adding headcount and costs is efficient. And then secondly, I think that like people are a lot more aware of kind of tech now than they were in like 2010 or something like that, right? Or even like 10 years ago, uh, which sounds like a huge long time and it's forever for a tech company. It's not forever for a freight forwarder that's been around for 215 years, right? Like it's, it's nothing. Um, so I, I think that like, you know, you're sort of seeing a much greater awareness of that and sort of appealing to that and, and having people adopt that is something that is just now kind of coming into the forefront of, of the freight forwarding industry. And is this uh, technology that you provide just in the U.S. or is do you have like operations internationally? Do you understand how the market is outside? Yeah, so we, we provide operations to country uh, um, companies across multiple countries. Uh, it, it, our primary customer base is mostly U.S. based. With supply chain, what you get, though, is you always have two parties, right? You have an origin and you have a destination like that party can be within the same country. We mostly focus on ocean freight. So like usually what you've got is you've got like Europe or Asia on one side, mostly Asia for exporting. And then you've got an import on the other side, uh, which is, you know, US, generally US based. I mean, US is one of the biggest importers in the world, right? So tons, tons of kind of business there. Um, so generally what we do is we apply the technology in both the import and the export side. Uh, so that's mostly US for the import based side, because like obviously they're a huge importer. Uh, and then, you know, we, we also kind of like look at Asia as a major market for sort of the export side, you know, especially like looking at, at kind of like Southeast Asia, especially looking at China and these big kind of exporting companies. Um, there's definitely challenge. Uh, one thing that you can do there, of course, is like you can work with an importer and reach out to exporters and be like, look, we're helping this partner that you work with save a bunch of money. Like, why don't you kind of like take a look at this too? Um, or their, their vendors, um, you know, it's, it's definitely challenging uh, sort of scaling or operating in, in several different markets. There's internationalization issues. There's there's language issues. There's language barrier issues. Um, uh, one nice thing about supply chain is that if you know you're shipping from like Japan to Mexico, the common language is probably English. Uh, so so there is a little bit of kind of help there um, with with sort of you know the, the document side of things. Um, but but it's definitely not not as easy as I think just just kind of working in one market and kind of going from there. But also somewhat necessary on an industry like this when like you, you can't just work in one market, right? Like no, even if you're in the U.S. market, it's it's heavily interfacing with Asia and Europe and kind of all these countries on the day to day. That's interesting. I mean, I know you're focusing mostly on like the, the documentation side, but I think it's interesting this space perhaps for artificial intelligence on the legality of things. Like what does that look like and the ins and outs of dealing with international, you know, laws and, and everything can, is this a space that you're breaking into as well? Or perhaps going back to the generative AI component? Sure. So I, I'd like to just ask a follow up there. Like in terms of like international law, like are you talking about like international like customs law or like what, what specifically are you referring to? Sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. like perhaps I mean, like customs, um, taxability, even on the components of what you're allowed to import or export. Like I've heard like here I live in Mexico and there's like those kinder eggs with like the small yeah. toys inside, which apparently aren't even allowed in the United States. Right. Yeah, or last new, right. The choking hazard. <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, what uh, those types of components? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I think that like legality is, is super interesting here. Um, it's 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 something that we've like briefly looked at. We have we don't have any product lines in it right now, but it's it's really complicated, right? Because like, I mean, you have you have tariff laws changing all the time. You have like all these international relations things to to take into account. You have like massive data sets and rule sets published by governments that are like impossible to navigate on these like, you know, websites from 1992 or something like that. Right. <laughs> and you, you have sort of like tons of um, tons of kind of just like uh, the way I frame it is you just have tons of data in sort of um, in sort of like all these silos kind of similar to our document one uh, that's really hard to parse and understand. 
uh, and you kind of need specialized experts to do it. I think in the future, at some point, there could be an, an kind of AI that does this uh, really well. I think, again, you're starting to see the beginnings of this um, with GPT-4, right, where it's able to kind of parse through like complicated documents and questions and kind of answer about that. Um, I would say that like probably what you're going to see there, I, I mean, it's also something that you don't want to screw up. Right, like so. So you, you definitely don't want to screw up biology. GPT told me I could. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, that's, that's not going to work in, in a court, right? Um, so the, the, I think the main challenge in adoption there, um, and probably you know, I think one of the reasons why we haven't kind of looked at this more seriously is like, yeah, I mean, you can transfer learn at like a large language model on like you know customs brokerage law and, and like put these data sets in, but like you can't you can't hallucinate right like <laughs> you can't uh you, you can't have chat gpt told me that this tariff was this other thing from a year ago so i did it so you're going to have some challenges there i definitely see it being adopted in the long term especially if you can solve those kinds of problems and like address this data set drift and laws um but uh th that's i think kind of where we are today with it which is like trying to overcome some fundamental technical barriers before applying that in a widespread uh format yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, let's, let's, we're to the final minutes here of our show. Let's kind of swing it back to you, Rui, as well as Expedoc. Now I can't help but notice that you're quite young. What's that story been for you um, being a CTO already? And what yeah, are some I'm maybe... washed out by Silicon Valley standards. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the, like the professional um, footballers or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're 40 exactly. and you're, you're done. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's that story been like for you? Any words of wisdom, lessons learned, do's and don'ts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, like, in terms of, like, general, um, I guess, general advice for, like, startups and, and do's and don'ts, there's a few things. You know, I mean, I think the first thing that I would say is, like, it's definitely harder than it looks <laughs> from, from, from the, the kind of the outside, right? I mean, every single day uh, when, when doing a startup or when doing something like this or as an executive at a startup, it's, it's a struggle, right? Like you're fighting constantly for new business. You're fighting to kind of win. You have competitors trying to take you out at every single turn, right? And it's, it's tough. Um, and so I would say that like key kind of like just general like cultural or, or things to do from like a personal perspective, if you're in this position is like, A, you know, get really, really good at compartmentalizing. Um, like, you, you know, you can't... Um, you can't uh, necessarily uh, have kind of every wave really hit you in the face and like set you back. Otherwise you're going to spend all your time as kind of like a, a mental wreck. And so like <laughs> being able to like understand, you know, what's important is a, is a generally important skill set for kind of any businessman, but especially that relative to sort of like, you know, your mental health or your own company is, is going to, you know, is going to kind of like, help you live a lot longer <laughs> let's just say not not suffer cardiac arrest at 35. Um, it would be kind of one of the big things I would say. And it's regarding, yeah, and reg I'm curious about Expedux culture. Did I say mm -hmm. that correctly? Expedux? Yes, Expedux. Yeah. Uh, how is the culture? Do you have like, a, I'm actually curious about if you have like a hybrid uh, remote uh, system with the employees or how does it work? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of hybrid skewing towards the remote. Uh, side of things, you know, we definitely do do meetups sort of semi-regularly, you know, kind of every like month or two months or so. Uh, we have employees across kind of different countries. Uh, this is, you know, especially important because supply chain is across different countries, I think. So having sort of multiple time zones of operations uh, does, does help out at least a little bit. Um, uh, we're, we're, you know, in terms of remote, I, I think you get pros and cons to this. Uh, I think it's definitely important to have some in-person connection in building. Uh, otherwise, it's sort of, you know, very distanced. Uh, and I think that like people aren't as connected to like, you know, really like committing to winning, which you kind of needed to start up right and like sort of like really close with with kind of your, your peers and like all kind of moving together uh, toward, towards a kind of better vision 
vision of the future on stuff. Um, that said, you know, remote does have its advantages in terms of like you're able to get the best talent regardless of location. You know, you're able to, to kind of recruit people better and like scale up and spin up. The costs are certainly lower than having like, you know, expensive Silicon Valley office space, which is like a bajillion dollars in San Francisco, right? <laughs> so the, the, there's trade-offs to be made in all this stuff. And we, we try to strike a balance, you know, with, with kind of like a remote, but like meeting in person occasionally sort of, um, sort of style of work. Uh, but, but, you know, again, that, that's still, I think, up in flux, and especially as remote tools get better and stuff like that, that'll continue to be sort of up in flux for probably us and most companies. Yeah, I think that makes a lot, a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, I guess the last thing, I guess my question is, you know, being a startup, being on the younger side of a CTO, what would you say, what do you do to let, let's say we want to, we walk the walk, right? Rather than talk the talk. What has been super helpful for you? You talked about compartmentalizing. You talked about focusing on your company culture. Anything else that maybe the, the underdog can do um, to stand out in the pack? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really about just like, um, there's a lot that goes into it. I, I would say that like one is like, relentless optimism is pretty helpful. <laughs> but most of the successful entrepreneurs, I mean, you have to be like, as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to take a hopeless situation and spin it to like something workable, right? And this is especially true if you're like a super underdog, right? Or, or if people are like, you know, really, you're like, you're 25, like, why would I come work for you? Or I can work for this big company or something like that, right? Or like, oh, you know, you didn't hit your revenue numbers or something like that. Like, you know, what are we going to do now, right? Like, we, we were going to hit these growth projections. And like, re really, like a skill set that I think you have to have is like, this does connect to compartmentalization too, which is like, you know, making sure that you keep everything into perspective is like, being able to sort of take situations where it's like, you know, I, I go from kind of like, I, I'm not sure what to do here. You know, I, I'm kind of I'm out of my depth here. Or like, oh, this isn't great to, to something that's like, okay, you know, this happened. Uh, you know, what do we do about it? How do we improve from it? And like, how can we kind of spin this into, into a success or at least a learning experience uh, when, when kind of like things happen there uh, from, from like a, both a negative and a positive perspective. Um, so yeah, relentless, relentless optimism is <laughs> a key, key component, I think of, of sort of many successful entrepreneurs and certainly most of that I've seen. Rel relentless optimism and the willingness or the need, recognizing the need, I guess, to, to think things through, reanalyze and um, try again. It's perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, Vri, it has been a pleasure learning from you and learning all about Expedoc today on Dojo Live. Thank you so much uh, for your time. And we, of course, wish you and your company nothing but success. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Great, great yes. to uh, Stick around for just a moment as we go off air. But before we do, uh, we would like to remind our viewers that we've got our recap show coming up on Monday at 10 o'clock a.m. where we'll talk about um, this week's shows as well as introducing next week's shows. So we've got two shows coming up for you uh, next week. That's going to be on, I believe, let's see, that's both... Um, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday and Wednesday. So no Thursday show next week, but it'll be a good one. So we'll see you then. And until then, stay safe, everyone. And bye. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.